Blog Talk Radio. Challenging folk. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Thank you, Mr. Barker. I sure appreciate it. Welcome, folks all around the world, listening to Sundays with Dr. Sean, God and Country Radio. We, uh, we, it, this was unplanned, but as those that get the opportunity to come, um, sometimes the most unplanned things, we had basically a dessert zone. It was, it was almost all dessert all the time. Someone rescued us. We had a, uh, some meat and some macaroni and cheese and some other stuff, but boy, was the food awesome today. And there's there's a bread thing. What is that bread? Apple bread. Apple pull bread. Pull apart bread. It's, it looks amazing. I can smell it. You guys are, uh, and we have somebody demonstrating how it works. You just pull it apart. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, listen, we sure appreciate you joining us. Uh, it's, uh, it's a unique day today. It's uh, uh, Some good friends of mine got married yesterday, a great soldier and leader. Uh, he married his sweetheart that he met at Georgetown University and uh, on the on the erg machine, and they dated, fell in love, dated, fell in love, and got married. And she's a, a physician from a bunch of physicians in her family. And I might say I was at the wedding yesterday in Washington D.C. And boy, everyone can sing in her family. Unbelievable singers, absolutely fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful wedding. Wonderful reception. So I wish them all the best. Because he's a special operator, I won't say his name, but we pray for him uh, every week. Uh, kind of a kind of a sneaky little prayer we pray for him on Monday. Hey, don't forget our Monday show uh, tomorrow. Show it is uh, at four o'clock from four to six on this same channel, BlogTalkRadio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. Also, don't forget our YouTube channel because every week I'm putting videos, short little videos. Uh, on the YouTube channel. So it's just youtube.com backslash, or just go to youtube.com and then the Ninja Pastor with spaces, and it'll be fun. I'm trying to get better at doing them little by little. Before long, we'll be, we'll be Hollywood up in here. Also, thank you for all the birth wishes. Uh, so many people gave me such nice birthday wishes. I turned 50 this past week. We had a lot of fun. The Kehala at my house, we had a lot of great food, uh, little groups, and uh, others brought food and it was amazing, just absolutely amazing. Who, who left my house hungry last week? Things you do. Listen, my friend Kahalen needs your prayers. He and his family they need your prayers. It's interesting to me what kind of people are top quality people because you see how they act when tough stuff happens in their life. And they're having fundraisers. They started a foundation uh, when his daughter died. They started a foundation where they pack uh, food boxes. 
as a as a group. They get a, the people together to do this, and it's a big deal. I mean, they do. Now it's grown into this big thing. You would think, Chris, with every reason under the sun, to not do it, not just you think the family would say, hey, you know what, this year we're going to take a break uh, because of what we're dealing with. But they didn't. They just keep driving forward. But he really does need your prayer. If you go to Caringbridge, uh, caringbridge.com or .org, I can't remember which it is, try both. Uh, then type in Chris Cahalan. Cahalan is simply spelled C-A-H-A-L-A-N, Cahalan. Uh, you can receive great updates. You can subscribe on that. It doesn't cost you anything. Don't sell your name. Also, we want to pray for the United States servicemen killed in that city this past week. Uh, and so we're going to pray now. Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with a free nation. We thank you so much for blessing us with the right so far to continue to worship you freely. But God, we just pray a special, special prayer for my buddy Chris. You know his heart for you better than, than you and he have a very personal relationship, a very close relationship. And I just pray, God, that you, you'd bless Chris and bless his family. Bless and heal his body. Give him rest. Allow him to find foods that he likes to eat. Uh, that he can tolerate and that he will eat a lot of to keep strength. And we just pray for his dear wife and his dear children and all the supporters there in Minnesota that are pulling for him. God, would you just pray also for these service men that were in this C-130. I just pray this group here and all around the world listening right now and my ministry that we help remind people that we are still in the war. God, we also pray for the folks in Oregon. We pray for the families of those touched by this crazy violence. And we pray that we as people, not our government, but we as a people would get to the bottom of what really happened there and that we would take action, that we would be leaders, that we that we would be mutual pledge to each other to keep the republic. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray this in Yeshua, your son's Amen. <clears throat> so next a word. This is uh this is James five. You realize we're at James five. We're at the end of James. This is it. Who has been for every single one? Every single one. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the people in the back, yeah, I have. Everyone, there's no prize other than vast knowledge that you have now. So it starts here, it starts this way, and I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Next, a word for the rich. Weep and wail over the hardships coming upon you. Now let me say this. You know, in the uh, in the in the marketing of this, uh, this is called "Weep and Wail, Rotten Riches, Corroded Gold, and Flesh Burn." You've all heard what the Bible says. You've all heard uh, people say at different times that the Bible says wealth is bad, riches are bad, money is bad, money's the root of all evil. You've heard anti-God people, who ironically most of the time are pretty well to do themselves, say, you know, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. And this is most often a justification of wealth confiscation by the state in order to fund the less and the less anti-God, uh, that whole crowd's entitlement philosophy. And the entitlement goes to their constituents, and of course, they buy votes. James, the brother, or Yaakov, the brother of Jesus, is pretty clear on money and Christians. Tonight's message I'll simply explain in an unmistakable way that will provide highly useful insight for your life. So text your friends, tell them we're here. Hey, does anybody know where Wes is? That guy doesn't miss. Anybody? Blue Sky, he's on a motorcycle. God, keep him safe in this wind. So we'll start over since I interrupted myself. Next, a word for the rich. Weep and wail over the hardships coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes have become moth-eaten. 
and your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. That's what the Bible actually says in Yaakov or James 5, starting in in verse 1. So he begins, Yaakov or James, begins by calling the rich to repentance because they are in serious trouble. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm not rich yet. I wished I would be rich. I'm trying to be rich. I'm trying to work, trying to make money. I'm trying to do this, trying to do that. Isn't it all wrong? I'll explain why here in a second. There's, There's very important, very distinct language here. But the language is certainly graphic, is it not? Read that again for you. A word for the rich. Weep and wail over the hardships coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. Folks, that's some wild language. That's graphic language. This warning is clear. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. The Greek word used for weep is kleo which is the same word, ironically, maybe not so ironically, to describe the weeping of Peter as the denial of Christ. Luke 22, 62 is where you can hear that. And you can see if you have a Bible that exposes the, the languages, the biblical languages, you can see that it's the same exact word. How many of you know that in the biblical languages, Hebrew, Hebrew not so much Greek, but in Hebrew, there are many ways to say a similar thing. But it could mean many, many things. Many, many things, depending on how it's used. This is an example of that. Indeed, the rich who have misused their wealth. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I'm not a wealthy man. I'm, I'm far from it. But I can tell you, this speaks to misuse of wealth for their own sort of gain. And those people, Yaakov or James, the brother of Jesus, Yaakov says that they should weep Tears for judgment is coming upon them. Those that, the wealthy that misuse their wealth. Not only should they weep, but they should literally howl. Oluzo, oluzo, which is Greek, for the miseries which are to come upon them. This is the word that's used here. The word actually means to howl or shriek. Misery, telepaoria, telepaoria, is the strong word used by Paul, Shaul, in conjunction with destruction in Romans 3.16. It's a direct quotation of the prophet Isaiah's warning in Isaiah 59.7. Listen, if you tell me we should only read the New Testament, I'm telling you we cannot understand fully the New Testament. We can't have the Bible come alive for us unless we read and understand the Old Testament because the New Testament reaches with its drenched hand back into the New into the Testament to help us understand the new. We can't understand the covenant that we live under if we don't understand the covenant that all of our faith was founded under. Which is wise. This is the Asherit Hayamim. Asherit Hayamim. Or what this word means in Hebrew is the perilous or doomsday times or end of days. This is that actual word there. And you storing up wealth. This what the scripture says. This is the Asherit Hayamin. End of times days. These, this is because we're, we're in this terrible times, Yaakov is saying to this crowd that he's speaking to, and you're storing up your wealth. Rearranging the chairs on the Titanic, right? Remember the story 
is is that they played, the band played as the, you know, it's kind of pointless, I guess, in a way. But here he's using this example to say, hey, we're near the end of days, and here you are storing up your wealth. But there's more to it than that. People use this as an excuse not to plan, not to put away, to save, taken woefully out of context. The Bible literally says, Yaakov or James here, the brother of Jesus, literally says, listen, the wages you have fraudulently withheld from the workers who mowed your fields are calling out against you. Outcries of those who harvested have reached the ears of Adonai Svaot. Now, let me say this. You can't complain, or you shouldn't complain about what you don't have, what you haven't been given, uh, about being ripped off if you haven't earned it, if you're not due it. So in America, what we have here is we have a whole lot of people, millions and millions and millions of people in America haven't done a lick of work, haven't earned a single dollar, and yet when the when the uh, tax breaks come out, they say, well, where's my tax break? Where's my refund check? My first statement to them is, wait a second. You haven't worked for a check. You haven't paid taxes. Why should you get it? Well, it's not fair. It's just fair. It's not about fair. It's about just. Let's make sure we understand here. He's talking about those who are out in the field who worked for the wealthy farmer, who harvested, who brought in the food and the harvest. They were crying out to Adonai Svevot. You have led a life of luxury and in self-indulgence here on earth in a time of slaughter you have gone on eating to your heart content. Gluttonous. Self-focused. Caring not about anyone else. You have condemned. You have murdered the innocent. They have not withstood you. Let me say this to you folks. In the wake, uh, coming months I'm going to have an announcement about the Planned Parenthood uh, video and the makers of that, which is going to be really cool. You guys are going to think that's pretty cool. Uh, but um, I can tell you this, those videos, Planned Parenthood and the defenders of Planned Parenthood have said they are doctored videos. Here's the interesting thing. Videos have been, prior to them being released, were given to Planned Parenthood in their entirety, undoctored, and certified as such. But the only claim that Planned Parenthood can make out there negotiating the brains and the hearts and the eyes and every other part of the innocent babe aborted is the videos are doctored. They don't really tell the whole story. This is what they say. You have condemned, you have murdered the innocent. This word innocent, when we talk about in Hebrew, this word innocent, when we talk about abortion, a lot of people think abortion is some new thing. It's not. It's not. It's just we've taken it beyond a Roman. We've taken it beyond beyond the hedonistic self-power. We've made it something bigger and more awful and more insidious, more diabolical, more profitable. The evil, evil, evil left has found a way to make money off of body parts of innocent babies. This is the same word used there. They have not withstood you. Look, in verses 2 and 3, Jesus makes this, and you probably will see this, four prophetic statements concerning the conditions that will indicate that trouble is coming. Listen, this is a warning. 
I'm giving you four prophetic statements. I'm saying to you, here they are, one, two, three, and four. Once again, Yaakov sounds a great deal like Yeshua on that Sermon on the Mount. You guys should go back and listen. It was really cool at the wedding yesterday. He listens to uh, whatever I record and put out there and listens to our shows on Mondays. And if, if he and his new wife are something, God bless you. You, If anybody's going to have an awesome marriage, it's it's these two. They are They are some awesome human beings. But he said part of the wedding was actually they actually used part of my the uh, sermon series that I did on the Beatitudes. Anybody remember what this was? Lucky, the lucky life. Yeah. Jesus who? The man on the mount. So you can listen to those for free. If you go to the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com, you can listen to those for free. Go to iTunes, type in Dr. Sean Greener. They're all free. There's no charge for any of it. So he sounds an awful lot like uh, Yeshua in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. In short, your riches and your clothes will be destroyed. There's not much worse than that. That's pretty embarrassing for a Jew, is for everything to be destroyed, including your clothes. Because if your clothes are destroyed, what's happening? You're standing there naked, the ultimate embarrassment. Your gold and silver are corroded. To be corroded or katiotai means literally to rust down or to be cankered. Again, we have the vocabulary used by Yeshua. When he warns about rust destroying riches and counsels us to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor destroy. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Their corrosion will be a witness against you. Now James becomes much more personal because he says corrosion will be a witness against you. This is much more personal in his warning. He doesn't talk about inanimate objects such as money or clothing. Instead, now he's going directly to the people, to the human beings, to their bodies, their being, who they are. The word in Hebrew for human beings is nefesh. Nefesh in Hebrew, and that is simply the being that prays. He is speaking to nefesh now. He's not talking about the trappings of wealth. He's talking about you, what's left when you're a little bear, when you are measured with nothing that you've accomplished or acquired. This is what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are rich, and this is important. Don't let the left tell you that the Republicans are bad because they're all they're all rich. Republicans, I don't, how many? We don't have any rich Republicans in here. I don't see any. Not yet. Y'all hide it well. We're all rich in glory. So here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. We're all being uh, described improperly labeled as we're rich, uh, selfish. Who gives more money in, in this country, in the world, quite frankly? Who conservatives, conservative Christians give more money in this world than any other demographic known to man. But here, Yaakov is speaking, or James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Messianic community, is saying, I'm talking to those who have misused their wealth. The corrosion of their riches will be a witness against them. This witness, or martyrion, or testimony, martyrion is testimony, is the very kind of testimony given in a court of law. He specifically uses this word, and he says, your misuse of your wealth is testimony, like in a court of law, against you. 
And in this case, folks, I'm telling you, he's describing something that is extremely incriminating. And then he goes on to say in a different translation, and will eat your flesh like fire. Does that sound appealing? Anybody want that? Most of us have had some occasion. Uh, we, we have a, a, a gentleman that runs a mechanic shop, and, and I'm sure dealing with batteries over time, that corrosive acid, you've gotten some of it on you, and boy, it burns like fire. You can't even get it off of you. Anybody ever get something on you that just burns and burns and burns? Right? That eating or burning at your flesh, you can't seem to get it away? That we, we would think of, but imagine on a much grander scale. The final sign that the rich are in trouble will not merely be the destruction of their wealth. Look, somebody looked at Job, right? We look at Job, and we say, wow, he lost everything. But what didn't he lose? He never lost his He never lost that. And what happened? God restored him plus some. Restored him plus some. Sometimes we measure our wealth in an ironic or odd way. Sometimes we measure the viability of ministers by their wealth. How nice a suit do they wear? How nice a car do they drive? Right? How Their diamonds, their wristwatch, their, all these different things, their, their TV ministries, the giving, the book sales, the, all these different things. I'm not against any of that. It's the misuse of that. So we look at people and we measure using their clothing, uh, all these things. What we do is realize that the final sign that the rich are in trouble is the destruction of their wealth, their clothing, and the corroded gold and silver, how it just gets eaten up. The very flesh of the rich will be destroyed because they are wicked. Not all the rich, I want to be clear here, not all the rich, it's those who misuse. The warning of James doesn't take place within a void. You need to understand, this is he's not saying this out of nowhere. Uh, it's actually the opposite. He presents specific reasons which lead to the proposed trouble, that which we'll talk about in a second. He uses a practical cause and effect logic. I gave the sermon last week, and by the way, if you want to hear the whole sermon from last week, we cut off at 16 minutes. We don't know why. It's a problem with uh, Blog Talk Radio. We don't. We have an idea, but I kept on preaching. I repeated the sermon at the end of Monday's uh, show. So if you go on blogradio.com backslash the ninja pastor, go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, the ninja pastor, all these things, you can click on that. Toward the end of my show, I repeat that. I actually deliver it again. And the name of that was the if-then proposition. If you do this, then this will result. If you do this, then this will result. The if-then proposition. After identifying the effects, he now enumerates the specific causes which are leading to the, the coming judgment. Now, this doesn't, I don't want you to think, you know, I don't want to get too far along without repeating, purposefully repeating. Listen, there is nothing at all wrong with working hard and deriving profit from your hard work. There's nothing at all wrong with having a savings account or investments to carry you through your retirement years. There's nothing at all wrong with acquiring wealth. What Yaakov, is, the James brother of Jesus, is specifically saying here is the misuse of wealth. So we said there's four. First, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. To heap up treasure merely means uh, for the sake of having treasure. Just have it. 
Now, I just said just a minute ago, hey, there's nothing wrong with putting away. There's nothing wrong with putting away, putting away money for a rainy day. We've heard that, for a rainy day. In fact, that's wise. My, uh, my Mormon friends, th- this is a big, big thing for them. They just put away money. They put away food. You should have at least a year's worth of food in order to be properly prepared according to their tenets of their faith. I think Christians, we should, we should emulate that. That's a good thing to emulate. We should put away food just in case. Not always just for the coming uh, collapse of the government, which I don't have any doubt that this country is headed that way. What about the hurricane? Clean. What about the hurricane? There's people in Alabama and South Carolina and other places, uh, North Carolina, that there's state feet of water uh, in their homes, and they're out of their homes. Who knows how long that'll be? Who knows how long it'll take for food to get to them? Listen, folks, depend people and, and entities, the government help us. I'm here to tell you they're not coming. Don't depend on them to come. You be your own self-governance. Now, I just used a word. I use a lot in my sermons and in my speeches, self-governance, Center for Self-Governance. We're going to be having a training November, I think it's 15th, 14th, and 15th. But we're definitely having, I just don't know which day, we're doing level one. We're repeating level one. So if you've already done level one, but you say, yeah, i got to do it again, uh, just to get myself one. There's been things that have changed and improved and, and just uh, a lot of power has been put in it. For $10, you can audit the class, $10. Then we're going to do a level, I think a level two and a level three. We're definitely doing a level three, but probably level two. This is tra- extraordinary training, extraordinary training. So in the idea of self-governance, when you're governing yourself, when you're looking out, you know, you're saying, hey, I, I'm responsible for me. You save food. Listen, after my crash, of course, we thought, just like always, if anything ever happened to me, i just go back to work. i just heal up and go back to work. But then after a while... There was no going back to work. I wasn't getting better. I wasn't able to do the things. And, and then the doctors start telling us, no, this is your life now. We ate off of our, our savings of food. We, we, most people don't know that. We ate off of the food that we put away. We lived on. Praise God, we had it. It was amazing. And when we looked back on it, we looked back fondly and, and, and kind of proud, not in a haughty sort of way, but wow. This worked out. So it isn't always a government collapse, a riot, or, or any of those things. It could be sickness. It could be, it could be uh, you know, an injury. It could be any number of things. It could be weather events. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it says we're to put away, we're safe. There's, this is not saying that. This is a different thing. Look, if you trust in what you put away in your wealth, in Luke trusting God, then you and I, if I do that, I'm in the same place as these people that Yaakov is talking to. James is talking to these same people, and he's saying, hey, if you're making this your God, you are in trouble. This is a problem of the rich farmer who Jesus described in his people. He trusted in his wealth, but God said to him, this is Luke 12, 20 uh, through 21, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose thing, whose will those things be which you have provided? Then Jesus made the personal application. Yeshua said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself. One of the problems with wealth, and this is 
just want to suggest to you, people say to me all the time, hey, man, but what if I put away all this food? Hey, man, what if I put away this money for a raining day? Hey, man, we can put some windows open if y'all are hot because it is warm. Uh, hey, man, if it's, uh, look, if it's, it, you know, what if what if it doesn't happen? What if I don't get a chance to use my saved food? What if I don't get a chance to, uh, to, to use my wealth? What if I don't get a chance to retire? What if I put away all this money, I do all these things, and I don't get a chance to retire? What if I don't get a chance to use it? But here's the thing. What we have to understand, that wealth, all those things, those things are temporary. People who trust in it in lieu of God will lose it. Only treasure stored in heaven is eternal. That's Matthew 19 and 20. Second, here's the second thing. Unpaid wages of your laborers cry out in verse 4. He said, Yaakov spoke to that. The second problem with the unrighteous rich is that they have cheated. Now you're starting to hear a theme. They've cheated those who have labored for them by withholding their wages. Listen, there's nothing worse. I remember having my business. Don't let somebody not pay me. I do the job. It's perfect. Everything's just exactly right. I have fixed their problem to perfection. Now I'm going to be paid. I very rarely ever experience the whole, uh, I'm not going to pay you. Just twice, I think. Twice. And I made it very clear. I'm the one guy you're not going to not pay. You're going to pay me. See, some of the, the wicked rich, not just the rich, the wicked rich, because look, a poor man never signed the front of a paycheck. How many of you have ever been paid by a poor man? Nobody. Nobody in here ever. Nobody employ, no poor person employs a bunch of people, provides for their families and all those things. It's just not reality. But the fact is, the rich who have been deceived, deceived into thinking, hey, you know what, I'm going to get richer by getting over on people. The people that have helped me acquire this wealth, I'm going I'm to take from them. But those cries of those who have been cheated, those that work for them, go straight to the Lord's ears. Sabaoth is a word that's used here. The term Sabaoth is, is uh, not Sabbath, um, is derived from Hebrew military term, which is used here to denote the sovereignty of God. God hears with utter sovereignty. Many people believe that they've succeeded in cheating others and God, but James or Yaakov warns that the rich, the rich that believe this, utterly and completely deceive, and ultimately the Lord rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Well, here's the third thing: you have lived in pleasure and luxury, having wealth not a sin in itself. You see, I keep saying, this. I keep repeating, why? Because it's important. And oh, by the way, it's true. Indeed, some of the Lord's most faithful servants were people great wealth. And we Abraham, Abraham, David, great wealth, Solomon, great wealth, Moses or Moses, great wealth, wealth beyond our comprehension. And yet it's the misuse of that wealth that is contrary to the essence of spiritual living. The true meaning of this passage is that these rich people live for the very purpose of their extravagance instead of living for God. I think some people never achieve the comfort and the security that they have because God knows. Once they have that pile of money stored away, once they have that wealth stored up, they'll say, ah, now I don't need to rely upon God. 
This is what happened in these folks. They had become ungodly hedonists to live for the pleasures that could be derived from wealth. They trusted their money instead of God. They lived for their money instead of God. Here's the fourth thing. You have condemned and murdered the just. The ultimate manifestation of rich who trust in their wealth rather than in God is that they are never satisfied with what they've acquired. They are never happy. It's never enough. It's never enough. I don't have enough. I'm always nervous. I'm thinking of somebody right now I know for a fact could retire, has plenty of money. He could retire, but he's nervous. He needs to retire. He's stressed out every day. as a stress explosion in his body. It's aging him probably at ten times the rate of his normal aging. He's worried about everything and everybody. I've got to make money to take care of everybody in my family. Okay, everybody in my immediate family is taken care of. Now I've got to take care of my brothers and my sister and, and my cousins and this, that, and other. And mom, i got to keep this. It's killing him. It's killing him. Trust God. Trust God. Don't trust in your wealth. You know what I've learned about wealth? It can be gone in a minute. Who always has to have more. They say, if I get half a million dollars saved up, then I will be secure. If I work 20 years and I've accumulated a retirement plan, then I will retire in peace and security. Then they get there, and they say, mm, I don't feel secure enough yet. So they don't. If I get this job, then I'll be a happier person. The if proposition. It visits every aspect of our lives, and it, and it hits us here. But here's the problem. This rich bunch condemn what they condemn themselves because they condemn those that work for them. It even it even goes on to say in the uh in the commentary they condemn the just and even murder them to get what belongs to them. They steal the greed of Ahab and Jezebel led to the murder of Nabal and Jezreel in order to steal his vineyard. That's first Kings twenty one. That same greed is the motivation for the rich to condemn and kill the just who do not even resist. No wonder James warns against the sin of misuse of wealth. It's a deadly sin that leads to destruction, but you understand he is not condemning wealth. The left would have you believe that all wealth is condemned. And here's the crazy thing. This always cracks up. Look at the left, and I say to myself, people say, especially college professors, no offense to college professors here, uh, college professors at larger state institutions who are making enormous money working be- – this is a real number. I, I've researched this heavily in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. In that book, I discovered they work between four and eight hours per week. They have a whole host of research assistants and teach assistants and grad assistants. Four, they themselves work, actual work, four to eight hours per week. And most of them, if not more. So when I hear the students, we'll just use the University of Delaware as an example, Claiming that they're being robbed, they're they're being uh, they're being abused, they're disaffected, they're they're um, they're underserved. All of these complaints that they have, the perpetually aggrieved. I say, listen, you should stop thinking, worrying about all that. Maybe you should go to the professors and say, hey, you know, you act like you're one of us, but you make three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and I think I see you for about a minute every week. 
Don't you think that would have some effect on the high tuition rates? University of Delaware is an interesting example. Three times the rate of inflation. Uh, at different occasions over history, over their history, they've raised their tuition by three times over the rate of inflation. Look, don't get mad at everybody. Get mad at the right people. But it's the misuse of wealth that leads to destruction. Okay, let's go back to the passage. So, brothers, be patient until the Lord returns. He doesn't say be patient until you run out of patience. Be patient until 50 or 100 years pass and then stop being patient. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says be patient until the Lord returns. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He's patient over it until he receives the fall and spring rains. You too be patient. Keep up your courage for the Lord's return is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you won't come under condemnation. Look, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and treatment and be patient, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of Adonai. Look, we regard those who persevered as blessed. You have heard of the perseverance of Yilov. You know what the purpose of Adonai was, that Adonai is very compassionate and merciful. Yaakov here says, he shares his warning regarding the use, misuse of wealth, and then James seems to reach the conclusion that the rich to whom he has been referring, ready for this? I'm sure none of you saw this coming. I bet you did. The rich to whom he has been referring are the non-Christians who have been oppressing the believers. Isn't it interesting? You have to read in context. People say, judge not lest you be judged. That's what my Bible says. It's not one verse. It's many verses. And we have to read those verses in context. Judge not lest you be judged. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Christians, uh, it, it, he's, he, what we know about Yaakov or James, the brother of Jesus, the Messianic community there, uh, is that he's starting to evidence that, hey, you know what? The ones I'm talking about are the non-Christians who've been oppressing the believers. In the midst of this oppression, James counsels the Christians to be patient until the coming of the Lord, which he believes in verse 7 and 8 are at hand. He makes three specific contentions concerning the believer and patience. This is number one. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Look, in counseling us to be patient until the coming of the Lord, James uses the example of the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth until he's ready things and the latter rains. But you need to understand the context. The context that's being used here. He's writing within the context of the climate of Israel, which receives its early rain in late October and early November, and then receives its late rain in April or May. Let me say those numbers again, those uh, dates again. The early rain is in late October and November, and then its late rain is April or May. Guess what we know about that? We don't have to be mathematicians to know that's a long time apart, and in between there's very little, if any, rain. It's a long time, folks, to wait for the harvest. That's a lot of patience. He uses this example. You see, you have to know who the audience is. You have to know to whom these words of wisdom are being directed. You have to know who is directing those words of wisdom. You have to know those things and understand. But what we do know is that the farmer, the Hebrew farmer, waits patiently during that process. Because why? He can't hurry it along. There's nothing he can do. He is totally dependent on God 
to, to send the rain. In the same way, James assures us that God is always on time. He's not lazy. How many of you have had a rescue in the 11th hour, in that last moment, that 11th hour in 51st, 52nd, 53rd, 54th, in the 59th minute of the 11th hour, he has come to your aid. Look, you can't hurry it along. You've got to strengthen your heart. Yaakov uh, speaks to this idea of sterizo. You should establish sterizo in your heart, which means to fix or strengthen. The prophet Isaiah shared the same counsel when he wrote, You will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's Isaiah 26.3. Listen, don't you know that Yaakov or James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Messianic community, living in New Testament times, reached back into the Old Testament to bring forth wisdom from the prophet Isaiah. And as we wait, we should not grumble or complain against one another. Judging of others can lead to our uh, condemnation, warns James. He even uses the term, the judge is standing at the door. Listen, if we commit crime, when do we really worry? We really worry when we hear the knock at the door. When the law enforcement is there, knock at the door, and they're coming to take you away. The Lord's coming is near. In fact, Peter contends the only reason that the Lord hasn't returned is that he is patient in the same way that he desires for us to be patient. And he's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. At Second Peter 3, and comes from 3 to 9. Here's another one. Be patient in the face of suffering. This is the second of three that he's teaching. Be patient in the face of suffering. James is writing to a suffering church. This church is struggling. I was talking to a great guy named Marlo yesterday. Who was He's a Jewish guy and was fascinated that I do everything I do from a Hebrew uh, perspective and worldview. He was absolutely astounded. He said, I don't know that I met many uh, Gentiles who, who do that. Why did you do that? And then we got in this great conversation. Fantastic guy. I can't wait to have him. Uh, very super intelligent. He and his wife are blazing intelligent people. And can't wait to have them on the show, Marlo and Mary. But we have to understand that this church, James is writing to suffering church, and he writes not merely to instruct, but to comfort and encourage. As he encourages his readers to be patient in the midst of their suffering, he gives two very vivid examples from the Old Testament scriptures, which should serve us as great encouragement to us all. He begins by inviting us to look at the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord as examples of suffering and patience. He talks about that in verse 10. The writer of Hebrews described some of the things these men suffered. Now, I'm not saying this is not in Colorado, I'm giving this message, so I don't have to give this disclaimer, but they were not, they were stoned. I want to be clear, they, weren't, they wasn't high, they were stoned. They were hit with stones. People were throwing stones at them. They weren't high. Wish I was high. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were slain with the sword. They wandered in sheepskins. They were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Tormented, Hebrews 11:37. A vivid example of such a prophet. We all would think of who? Jeremiah. He was known as a weeping prophet. He was beaten, placed in rocks, in prison thrown in a cistern, yet still, unwaveringly, patiently, he trusted the Lord. Job, I talked about Job a few minutes ago. Job 
is a great example. He suffered for no legitimate reason. Folks, I know my suffering. I could look back at my life and say, I deserve this. I deserve this. I've earned this suffering. Job, a man that was so godly that he says, how about, how about, I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll, you know, you start taking some stuff away from him. You hurt him a little bit. I don't think he's going to worship you. And God said, take everything but his life. I guarantee you, he'll, he will continue to worship me. He suffered for no legitimate reason. Yet he committed his entire way to the Lord and he trusted him. God was compassionate and merciful to Job. Remember I told you, God returned to Job even more than he had before. Returned him more than he possessed prior to the time of suffering. Job 42.12 is where you can read a little bit more about that. And where is Job 42.12? What part of the Bible? Oh, really? We should read something in the Old Testament? Hmm, somebody pitched me. Something in the Old Testament might be of use to Testament believers in the same way. James, the Lord, he says the Lord will be compassionate and merciful to us as we trust him and follow him as Lord in verse 11. Listen, we've got to endure. He is in proposition as, hey, if you endure, if you endure, you will be blessed. This is the third one. Be patient and you will be blessed. This is the third contention of James. Remember I said there was three. Those of you who are counting are really good at math, have more than two fingers, you, you're up, up to speed here. The third contention of James, he believes that the result of being patient and enduring suffering will be a blessing of God. What better should we ever seek in this world than the blessing of God? What better? He states, we count them blessed that endure. James may be referring to the teaching of Jesus on this important subject. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You can read more about that. I'm not making that up. That's Matthew 5, 11, 12. Be blessed, folks. Remember the Greek word for blessed, makarios. Makarios. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. But we have to endure. Everybody wants the microwave faith. They want the microwave blessing. You know, I'm going to put a little finger up at church one day, and it's all dark, and the music is loud, and nobody can hear. I'm going to text the number, and all of a sudden, everything is fixed in my world. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Folks, it's a whole lot harder than that. I'm here to tell you, the life of a Christian, a follower of the way, we will be blessed. If we endure, you see, our Lord offers us a quality of happiness which can enjoy even in the midst of suffering and persecution. What is that? What is that uh, casting crown song about in the storm? How many of you ever heard that song? It talks about I will praise you in this storm. I will praise you in the storm. Can you imagine knowing that the the fruits and the blessings of your faith? withstand even the storms that you're going through. I know of the 30-some thousand people who are listening to this all around the world right now, and to the, I don't know, 500 or 25, I'm not good at counting live audiences, many are here, 25 or something like that. So of of all of this group here, and a group this size, and a group of 30-some thousand people listening around the world, I'm here to tell you, I know some of you 
altering suffering. You are having to endure loneliness, the loss of the loved one. You're having to do you're having to endure the the fears that that the enemy puts some of the most talented people. Fears and self doubt. You're having to endure that every day and still do it with a smile on your face. Some of you are about to go through the biggest challenge of your life, whether it's divorce or you've illness that threatens to take your life and you're fearful. But God says, if you endure in faith, you'll be blessed. He says that we'll be happy. Those who endure will be happy. The promise to us is that the Lord's coming is near. It's compassion and he look, we can describe compassion, but there is no great people and no people and say, Hey, that's a compassionate person. And then we compare them to God and we say, Wow, God here, this person here, this person is great. The mercy of God is beyond anything that we can ever imagine. That's why so many of us think our sins are beyond the reach of God, beyond the forgiveness of God. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 that talks about he will reward those who are overcomers. Let me go back to this real quick because I'm running out. Last week I couldn't. I was so excited about my birthday. I ran right out of time. Had to finish real fast. I didn't finish. We just we didn't, didn't know that it stopped 16 minutes. But Above all, brothers, stop swearing oaths, not by heaven, not by the earth, and not by any other formula. Rather, let your yes be yes and your no simply no, so that you won't fall under condemnation. Is someone among you in trouble? Come on now. Is someone among you in trouble? Then he should pray. If someone, the if, the big, bold, if I could put up on a screen or on the wall or in the sky, if in big, bold, blinking letters, if someone is in trouble, he should pray. Is someone feeling good? He should sing songs of praise. Is someone among you ill? He should call for the elders. They will pray for him and rub olive oil on him in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered with trust that will heal the one who is ill. The Lord will restore his health, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, openly acknowledge your sins one to uh, one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now listen, I'm going to address this real quick. How many of us have been to that old country church that had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Remember Wednesday night prayer meeting after the supper? Come on, you know, sister so-and-so, she, you know, she loved, she loved when the prayer request time came. Everybody was quiet. You think it's off kind of slow, prayer request time normally, but when sister so-and-so wasn't working in the nursery, God bless her, she worked hard. Sister so-and-so, when she's in the congregation, my lance, her hand shoots up. You notice the pastor Whoever's leading the service is very reluctant to see Sister So-and-So. He's trying to look everywhere where Sister So-and-So is. Right? You know who I'm talking about. I want to ask for prayer. All of us up in here pray for Brother So-and-So. You know he's stealing from his work. Brother So-and-So might be five rows away. He's stealing from work, and you know I was driving in here today. He cut off, didn't even use his blinker. Pray for him. He's angry. He's all the time angry. Lord, play. But we got to pray for this fella. I'm not talking about that. And I'm also not talking about the person. You all know, if you've been to Old Country Church on Wednesday night, prayer service after the bellies are full, you know 
you know that person, when we talk about openly acknowledging our sins one to another, that person that stands up and says every sin they ever committed, and they're the worst person in the world as I'm concerned. They're taught worm theology. I'm just going to tell you, I don't believe in worm theology. We are blessed and redeemed. We are sanctified by the very best. There's no other comparison. We are a child of the Most High. We are not to live a defeated life. But I'm here to tell you, openly acknowledge your Let me just give you a little hint here. When somebody comes to you, just like this dear lady came to me and said, I've, I've, I've got to confess something to you and, and ask for your, your forgiveness, uh, so-and-so. And it was, I understand, I appreciate that, very sweet. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. The reason for that is so that we can pray for healing of that. The reason for that is that we can pray for each other. Look, if my buddy Chris comes to me and says, I'm, I'm concerned about dying. I've got a young family. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got, man, I'm young. I'm 40 years old. I don't want to die. If he were to ever come to me and say that, I'm here to tell you. I would, if I was privileged to be with him in, in Minnesota, I would reach out and put my arm around and say, Brother, let me tell you what you're feeling is very, very normal. It's very, very normal. Even for the people of this faith, it's very normal to be afraid. And he said, yeah, but I'm, I'm being sinful. I'm being fearful. Because God's given me a greater promise. I'm here to tell you. That's when we pray together and say, Father, lift my brother. We all know that people of faith, I'll just say this really quick, because I've had to do uh, different sermons at uh, funerals. And I can tell you, one way or another, people of faith, followers of the way, will be healed. There'll be a temporary healing here on earth that's imperfect. And then there will be the healing in heaven in the face of perfection. When I turn my eyes upon Jesus, when I look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. At some point, folks, we will all be perfected, those who have placed our faith. Those who endure the trials will receive the blessing. Person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Some of you who have James and other, other translations, that's probably what they would say. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Eliehu was only a human being like us, yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and no rain fell on the land for three years and six months. Folks, fervently here, you need to understand what's with that ceasing. Eliyahu prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. He was nefesh, the being that prayed. The only thing that makes us human is the fact that we can communicate with our Creator God. That's the only thing. Otherwise, we're no better than animals. But I'm here to tell you, when, when we read this verse and we say that he prayed fervently, you need to understand it's not one day for four minutes out of one week. Folks, I'm here to tell you, if you have a struggle and you pray for just four minutes out of one week, and then you're mad by Sunday, why hasn't God relieved me of this struggle? We've got no right to pray. We've got no right to complain if we don't truly pray fervently. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and no rain fell on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and have gave rain, and the land produced its crops. He God revealed himself through this man's great faith and his fervent prayer. 
My brothers, if one of you wanders from the truth someone and someone causes him to return, you should know that whoever turns a sinner from his wandering path will save him from death and cover many sins. This is at the end, but this is by no means unimportant. I'm here to tell you, folks, this mess about, well, that's none of my business. I'm not going, I'm not going to get involved in brother so-and-so. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not. Mm-mm, that's none of my business. I don't want, I'm trying to mind my own business. I got enough to worry about. I'm not trying to judge. Look, if you see someone walking toward sure destruction, why would you not, as a doctor, if you see somebody, you know they're smoking or they're doing some dangerous thing to themselves, they're harming themselves, you have to say something to them. You have to say something to them. As a teacher, as a friend, uh, no matter what you do, you have to speak up to a fellow believer and say, hey, look, I'm concerned for you. Not in a pie sort of I'm all that kind of thing. I'm a fellow struggler. I've been through some stuff, and I'm here to tell you I want to help you. Not in a I'm better than you, but I've been there sort of way. That's the question, folks. Can we be those people? Can we help turn whoever has wanted? from their wandering path? Can we help save them from death and cover many sins? If we tell them, they might never know. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.